And remember, we're trying to conform to be more like Christ. So be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. I'm only doing this because you asked me to. That's why. Kyle said I should come out that way on stage. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? It's Labor Day. Hopefully you're enjoying it so far. And hopefully you'll enjoy it after. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing to say. But anyways, I wanna pray and then we're gonna jump in. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place. Um, thank you for your word, revealing truth to us, changing our lives with that. I pray, God, that you would be moving through me, that you'd give me the words that you promise, and um, Lord, that you do your work. So we're grateful, we're thankful for this time. It's in your son's name, amen. I was reading a book by John Acuff called Soundtracks, which hints this being here. And this right here, if you don't know, that's called a cassette player. Cassette, just in case. Um, but here's what it was. I wanna read this for you as we're talking about soundtracks here. I wanna read for you, this is a research that he did in his book. Um, I thought it was interesting and it'll spur us on. It says this. Researchers at NYU did a study by giving two different groups of students the same assignments. Make sentences out of a collection of seemingly random words. Both groups proceeded to make as many as they could, but there was something slightly different about the words the second group of students was given. Hidden in that group of words were ideas related to old age. Words such as bald, Florida, and wrinkle. Didn't choose those words. At the end of the word challenge, scientists told the participants to walk down the hall to complete the second portion of the study. In another classroom, right? As they made their way down, the real test began. Scientists secretly timed the students to see how long it took them to make the short trip. Students exposed to the set of old age words walked slower. Interesting. In Germany, they flipped the test. They actually told them, walk slowly down the hall and then identify words that stand out to you. And when they did, they identified the older terms. And what this is called is the idiomotor effect. Idiomotor effect. The idea is that our thoughts impact our actions and vice versa. Our actions impact our thoughts. Or, yeah, that's right. Never mind my own thoughts. So you see, it matters what you think. He calls our thoughts then soundtracks. Things playing in the background and how it impacts our actions. Now, here's where this gets interesting, and this may be interesting just to me. We'll see how this goes. But what you're seeing now more and more with professional athletes. Professional athletes are hiring sports psychologists onto their team. Matter of fact, in 2018, they said 27 of your 30 Major League Baseball programs had on paid staff a sports psychologist. If you're a golfer, right, you may hire a personal trainer to work on the body, a swing coach to work on the swing, but then now they're saying a sports psychologist to help with your mind. And it's not just in sports. According to this study, they said sports psychologist skills are increasingly sought out by professionals in high-stress jobs, such as surgeons, firefighters, and performing artists. In fact, the U.S. Army is now the country's largest employer of sports psychology professionals who help soldiers learn to focus in combat and deal with stressful situations. 
Interesting, sports psychologist. Now, let's see something that's a little more, impact. I don't think anybody's a professional athlete in here, maybe I misread the room. But, but I will say, this might be more impactful. Remember, our thoughts, our soundtracks impact how we act. If you see a label in a department store that says sale, a thought spurs in your mind. If you see that that sale is 50, 60, nay, I say 70% off, you may be more encouraged to buy it. Matter of fact, there may be a little bit of a dopamine hit, a rush to your brain, a sense of good feelings. If that happens in the thoughts, you are more likely to buy that item. If you have a good experience buying that item, you're more than likely willing to do it again. You see, a thought impacted your actions. Go into marriage. When we do marriage counseling, when I do marriage counseling, I'll have the couples take a test called Symbus, saving your marriage before it starts. And you'll take this survey, this quiz, individually, and then we'll come back together and discuss the differences. One of the things we discuss is what your thoughts are, your soundtrack, when it comes to marriage. When it comes to marriage. And here's five of them. There are five ones we look at. Resolute, rational, romantic, restless, and reluctant. Now, the last two, with a mindset like that, there's a lot of work to be done. If you're restless, reluctant, I don't want to get married and you're getting ready to engage in this, there's a problem there. You see that, right? But what's interesting is if you have a resolute mindset where you're determined, unwavering, optimistic, usually those people who have that mindset are from a religious background. Interesting. Let's go, if you went with romantic, they say if you have a romantic thought or soundtrack, then for those who are a romantic soundtrack, those are ones who your rate of divorce slightly increases. The reason why is because you have this idea, a thought, that this is my one true someone. This is my soulmate. God has brought her into my, she floated on the clouds and came down to me, right? My one and only. And, and you know this, it's not always rainbows and daisies, right, in marriage? And eventually, it slowly begins to fade, and then all of a sudden, option B pops up. Well, she's nice, he's good looking, and because you have this idea of this is the one and only my one true someone, but I don't feel it anymore, well, maybe that's a better option. You see, a mindset impacts how you act. Now, let me tell you why this matters for our talk this morning. Is when somebody comes to faith, when somebody wants to follow Christ, the question I have is, what is your soundtrack in following Jesus? What are your thoughts when it comes to following God? That matters, and here's why. This was a study done um, by Fuller Youth in the book Growing Young, and they said this. If you followed the blog this last month or so, I've been writing about it, and here's what, what it said. It said, American teenagers, they're not hostile toward religion. Sounds good. But before we celebrate any supposed shift in U.S. religiosity, we must quickly pivot to the bad news. U.S. teens aren't hostile toward religion because they don't care about it very much. More specifically, while three out of four American teenagers claim to be Christian, only about half of those professing Christians view their faith as very important. Fewer than half regularly integrate faith practices into their daily lives. Do you know uh, how we track, and, and we say now a regular church attender is somebody who comes once a month. 
You see how things have shifted. I want to know then, if you look at what those kids were saying, they're saying, yeah, Christianity might be a good thing, following Jesus might be a good thing, but it's not the thing. It's not a priority. It doesn't really impact my life. It doesn't really matter. And that's why I want to dive in. Wait, what's that mindset? Now, before you crucify a kid, let me say this. We also know that a kid's faith is relative to their parents. And this is where it hits me in the nose. Because then I have to ask myself the question, what's my soundtrack when it comes to following Jesus? What am I saying? What do I believe this actually is? So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, we've been doing a series through Romans. We're wrapping it up today, looking at Paul's letter to that church there. Romans chapter 12. This was a church Paul didn't really know a, a ton of, I mean, he knew about them, hadn't spent much time with them, and he wants to lay out a basic gospel presentation to them, basic understandings. And what's interesting too is in this letter, if you read it through the entirety of it, you're gonna see he kind of bookends it with where he wants to go. If you look in Romans 1, 5, it says this. It says, through him we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish, to the obedience that comes from faith. You see, there's an expectation there. Obedience from what you believe. A, a way of living from what you believe or profess. In Romans 16, very last chapter, he concludes it by saying, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Again and again, it's almost like there's a lifestyle change here and he wants them to see it. And the culmination of this letter happens really what we're covering today in Romans 12. Okay, so Romans 12, we're only, and this is maybe good news for you, I don't know, but Romans 12, we're only looking at two verses. Romans 12, one and two, it says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper or spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will, okay? Now, if you didn't catch it, what Paul just did there was redefine worship for us. Worship is not sing-song time. It's not, hey, we're just gonna do it on Sunday morning only. It's more than that. Look back at the text, right? He says, I urge you to offer your bodies. I'm gonna reword it for you. And we're gonna do motions. Kids, I see you in here. You're doing motions with me. And so are your parents. Fun times had by all. Here we go. This is my definition of what we just read. It's this. Worship is our response to who God is and to what he has done. All right, now you saw the motions. Do it with me. Worship is our response to who God is and to what he has done. One more time. Worship is our response to who God is. Wait, hang on. Christian Klein is not doing the motions. That's right. I saw you. Let's try this again. Worship is our response to who God is and to what he has done. That's right. If you don't do it, you get called out. Now, you're welcome. Here's the thing, and it makes sense. It's a response. It makes sense as a response. Think about Moses when he leads the Israelites out uh, from Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They get to the other side. The entire Egyptian army is wiped out. What do they do? They start singing. You see, it's a response to who God is and what he's done. What happens when the ark comes back into Jerusalem? What do they do? 
David is in front of it dancing why he is responding to what God has done. What happens when somebody's healed by Jesus? And he says, don't tell anybody. What do they do? They run and tell everybody. Why? They are responding to what God has done. Makes sense, right? It's our response. Look at the language though. I urge you to offer. He's saying worship is a choice. It's a choice. And it's costly, to offer what? Your body as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were always costly. In this case, let me represent it by this. Voila. You see what this is? Can any kid tell me what this is? Boom, an Xbox reclose. That's exactly right. And if you play too many video games, I'm sorry about that. But this is what he's asking. He's saying, give this over. You know, if I play a video game, I control where the person goes. And here he's saying, no, 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 no. Give it over to God. And then the question you really have to ask, if I'm giving God control of my life, if I'm saying it's all yours, the question you're gonna ask then is, is it worth it? Paul is saying in view of God's mercy. So we need to know what that means. What is God's mercy? Well, you haven't followed us. Maybe you have if you've been here through the entire Romans series. He summarizes it in the first 11 chapters. So we're gonna read, just, no, I'm just kidding. Let me summarize these as best I can. A basic gospel message. Paul starts in chapters one through three of saying this. And, and, and you can do this, right? Think of any, outside these walls, the brokenness of the world around you. Something that when you see it, it lights a fire, makes you angry, makes you sad. Just think about that thing. That's what Paul mentions in chapter one. Look at how deplorable this is. Look at how bad the world is around us. And he's writing this about Rome. Look at how bad it is. And then he says, if you think it's bad out there and you think you're better in here, no, no, no. He says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned. All have missed the target. If it was a bullseye on a target, we missed it, right? We've all made mistakes. We all have regrets. And he's saying, yeah, it's broken out there, but it's also broken in here. We all start in the same boat. And then it says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of those mistakes, the consequences of those bad choices is death. Now, I think this is hard to understand. It's very churchy language. Let me take a step back here. Greg Kukul is a Christian apologist and he had a speaking engagement. After it was over, he had a book signing. As he's sitting at his table, a Jewish lawyer walks up to his table. And the man says, Here, you know, here's the book. Thank you, Mr. Kukul. I still don't understand why I need Jesus. As a Jewish person, I follow the law. I do good, I treat my neighbors well, I don't understand why I need Jesus. And Gregory sat there and he asked him a question, which I think is a great response when something like that happens, ask a question. And he said this, let me ask you two questions. First off, he said, do you believe that somebody should be punished if they break the law? How would you guys respond? Yes. And if you don't believe me, you know this is true. Wait till somebody wrongs you and you want justice. Right? And the, the lawyer sat back and he's, he's saying, so he asked the question, right? Do you think somebody should be punished if they break the law? He goes, well, I'm a lawyer, so no. No, he didn't say that. He said, yes. Yes, I think they should. It's my job. They should be punished. Okay, let me ask you a second question. Have you ever broken the law? And the man just paused. And they said, yeah, I have. And Gregory Kukul answered as well. He goes, I have too. And you see, we find ourselves in a predicament because we've both made mistakes. 
We both have done things we regret. And there's consequences for the choice, isn't it? The consequence is death. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to understand is why would a God who's so loving allow that as a penalty? You're saying, if I just lie, I deserve to die. You see that a cab driver in another country was struggling with the same idea. And the missionary riding in the cab was trying to explain it to him. And he, said, he finally just said, you know what? Let, let me say this to the cab driver. He said to him, if I reach up and I punch you in the back of the head, what are you gonna do? And the guy says, I'm gonna stop my cab, get out, drag you out and throw you in the street, drive off. He said, okay, let's say you do that. And then let's say I go over to this group of guys over here. I see one of them, boom, I punch him in the face. What's gonna happen? They said, they're gonna beat you up. Let's say a cop sees this going on. Cop comes over. And I, as he walks up, I punch him in the face. What happens then? He goes, he will beat you and he's gonna arrest you and throw you in prison for assaulting an officer. Let's say I go, I get out of prison and I go to the king of your country and I punch him in the face. What do you think is gonna happen? He says, they'll kill you. And he said to him, do you see that the crime was always the same? But the person I offended and that person's authority shifted every time. Now imagine you tell your little white lie or you do whatever that little sin is, but you do that to the almighty, perfect, holy, beautiful, powerful God. What do you deserve? And all of a sudden, it clicked in the cab driver's head. We are all sinners and we all deserve a punishment of death. But Paul doesn't leave you there. As he moves on, and we were reminded of this last week with Riley's sermon on God's loving father adoption. Now, let me say this. I have kids. How many of you guys have animals? Okay. My kids, when we walk in, if we walked into your house, my kids would follow behind me, and if they saw your animal, they would cling to my legs, right? If you have a dog, they cling to my legs. Why? They want to be safe. If you have a cat, I just kick your cat. I hate cats. Don't come to me with cats. But if you have a dog, no. But that's it. They come, they cling to me. Why? Because there's safety there, right? They know that I'm their loving father. And they know I will do whatever I can to protect them. If you saw some harm coming to your kid, what would you do? Anything in your power to stop it, wouldn't you? There was a story about an elderly couple Riding on a train. Train derails and starts going. Actually, it's derails and is sinking into a large body of water. This elderly couple is trapped in their compartment. They can't get the door open, so now it's time to go to the window. They start to try to break the window and bust it out. They can't get it. Dive team is already on the scene, and they're trying to pull people as quick as they can to safety. They get to the elderly couple, but now the cab is almost full. They bust open the window, but there's only time to save the two of them or their paraplegic daughter who's confined to a wheelchair. They have a choice to make. Who should they save? If it's a loving parent, you already know the answer. There is no choice. There's no choice. I will do whatever I can to save my child because I love them. Craig Rochelle, he said it this way, you wanna know what something's worth, look at what somebody's willing to spend for it. Paul mentioned it this way in one of the best words he penned in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says, and I'll show you the image here. If you can think of it, you want to know what you're worth. 
You wanna know when Paul says in view of God's mercy, this is the picture. What this loving father wouldn't do for you. In view of what he has done, in view of how much you are worth, he's saying then I'm asking you, I'm begging you, offer your body back to him. I wanna take just a pause, it seems fitting in this moment for us to remember it. If you have a, a communion cup, this, we do this every week, but it's doing it in remembrance of that sacrifice of how much value, the value you have in God's eyes, remembering him as a loving father. We said this a couple Sundays ago. As we come to communion, right, we said that a Jewish man, if he was proposing to his hopeful bride-to-be, he would fill his cup up with wine and slide it across the table to her. She, in turn, if she accepted the proposal, would drink it and slide it back across the table to him. The symbol of that is what I want you to pick up. The young man, as he fills it up, he's saying, this represents my life. This is my life given to you. Will you take it? And if she says yes, she sips it and then slides it back across saying, yes, I accept your life and I give you mine in return. When you take communion... You're gonna take the bread on your own. I want you to sit and reflect on those things. And then afterwards, we're gonna take the juice together, but understand what you're proclaiming, okay? So take a moment just to yourself, and then we'll come back together. Remember, this is God saying, hey, I gave you, this is my life to you. And if we drink this, what we're saying, in essence, I accept your life and I give you mine in return. Let's take the cup together. Now the question comes, is how then, how then do I develop a lifestyle, because that's what we're saying, I'm giving this over to God, how do I develop a lifestyle of worship? How do I get that? Well, look at the next two verses. He says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform, be transformed. So the first thing you've got to realize is we are called then to live differently than the world around us. Now remember, he's saying this, Paul is writing this to Rome. You've heard the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Do as the Romans do. And I think sometimes we've adopted that soundtrack, don't we? When I'm around these people, the Romans, I will do what they do. But when I'm around these other people, I'll do what they do. And when it comes to church on Sunday, I'll do what they do. You see, I think sometimes we subtly have accepted a soundtrack that is not true. Paul would say, don't conform. In other words, when in Rome, don't do like the Romans. Don't live like them. Andy Stanley said it this way, if you pick up your feet and go with the flow of culture, you're gonna end up with a lifetime of regret. A lifetime of regret. If you pick up your feet and go with the flow of culture, you'll live with a lifetime of regret. What's going on in Rome? Well, here's what is going on in Rome. Rome is redefining what is evil. If you look in chapter one, when he writes about it, he's saying the people there, I think it's 137, he's saying that the people there are actually taking evil practices. They know they shouldn't, and they're saying, hey, get enough people around us, and we'll say it's good. They are redefining what is right and what is wrong. Doesn't that sound eerily similar to the culture we're in right now? So do not, you got to live differently. And there's a caution there, a reflection that you need to do in our own lives. It's this, if your life looks eerily similar to somebody who has no God, then you may have picked up your feet. 
If it looks eerily similar, there is no difference. You may have picked up your feet. I would say change your motto to this. This is how it impacted Ashley and I. All right? You see the remote and you see whose hands it's in. I'm not a good gamer, Daniel. I'm sorry. But here's what it is. When we were first looking for jobs, right? When we were first married looking for jobs, we only looked and went where we wanted to go. So I'm praying, God, I know there's a church in Hawaii. I feel it, God. Come on, spirit, move me now. And we were looking. And guess what we didn't find, right? That's, that's just it. And over time, what began to happen then is we began to relinquish control. And we prayed this kind of a prayer. Whatever, or it was wherever, whatever. Wherever, whatever. Here's the prayer. Wherever you want me to go, God, and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because I trust you and I know you love me. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because I trust you and I know you love me. You see, you've got to live differently. You want to live differently, though, go to the rest of the verse. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation is something that's a process. It happens over time. It doesn't happen right away. Now, think of it this way. How many of you guys, if you have kids, have a growth chart? Do you have one of those in your house? Usually a doorway that you take a pencil to and you say, well, we're gonna destroy this doorway, watch this, right? And you get your kids lined up like you're gonna shoot them and you just push them up against the wall, right? You get the idea. Seeing how tall they are. I, I was joking and, and the idea of me fitting in a door frame is not easy anymore. I hit my head on those all the time. But you mark it, and that's the thing. How many parents have told you, and maybe you've said these words yourself, man, enjoy these moments. They go so fast. And that's it. You don't realize how much they've grown until then you see them up against the chart. You want to be transformed. That's kind of the idea. It's a process over time. And remember, we're trying to conform to be more like Christ, more Christ-likeness in my life. So be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. The idea of renew actually has the same terms as restore. You ever watch like HGTV, DIY network? Nobody in here watches that? Let's try that again. Does anybody, you, and this, we're all sinners, we all lie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you watch when they restore or redo a house, they have to gut it first, don't they? They go in and they start pulling out drywall and here's your insulation, redo this plumbing and electrical, da, 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 da. That idea is the same. He's saying, redo, restore your mind. And the same process happens, okay? So how do you do that? And this is where I wanna spend some time and then we'll be done. According to John Acuff, go, go back to this soundtracks idea. Um, there's two books. I think I'm, I'm just going to mention it because you might want to write them down and look them up. Okay. So John A. Cuff soundtracks. It's a good one. And then Craig Groeschel winning the war in your mind. That's where I got both of these items from. And they've been both beneficial to me, but it says this A. Cuff says when it comes to soundtracks, the first thing you got to do is you have to retire the old ones, retire the old thoughts, right? If you want to renew your mind or get this restoration project started, you got to pull out the bad. So you got to retire the old soundtracks. Groeschel says that's identifying the lie you have believed. And you know this, you ever believed a lie? Led to regret. You ever get an email from the king of Abu Dhabi saying, hey, I need help getting gold bars out of my country and you seem pretty trustworthy. You already know it's a scam, but if you believe the lie, you're gonna end up in a place you don't wanna go. What happened to Eve in the garden? She believed a little bit of a lie and what happened? You've got to identify what the lie is and get rid of it, 
Retire the lie. Here's some things. Gershel says in John 8, Satan is the father of all lies. To know his tactics. Here's some lies you may have believed. This one, your value, personal value, is based on your productivity, how much you're needed by others, what you have materially, your looks, or the number of friends, and maybe your friend's status. If you believe that, if you believe that, you may be in a hard place. You may have bought into a lie, and it may lead you someplace you don't want to go. So three questions you need to ask any soundtrack that plays. Here they are. First one is very obvious, but it's very beneficial. Is it true? When you hear somebody say something, you need to ask, wait a second, is that true? Specifically, if a kid says this one, they never, I always, they always, always and never are those indefinite terms. That's a sign. That's a lie. You know that's not true. They always get their way. They always choose where you go to eat. And you're like, nope. Identify the lie, ask if it's true. Second thing, is it helpful? These chairs, I believe, are gray. You're welcome. Now, anybody want to get baptized? Nobody? Nobody wants to jump in the water real quick? You see, it's true, but it's not beneficial. So ask, is it true, is it helpful, and is it kind? More than likely, the lie that you keep playing in your head, the thought you keep having, is one that's a derogatory or negative thought against you. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not fill in the blank. You've bought into the lie and it's affecting the way you live. You have to retire the soundtrack. Second thing you got to do, replace it. Replace it with the truth. Where do we find the truth? God's word. God's word. You need to find the truth in God's word. What's God say? When it comes to the value of humanity, where do we get that? We say every human being is valuable. Why? Because you were made in the image of the almighty. Every human being, it can't come down to productivity. What do you say to the person confined to the wheelchair who can't do anything? Are they now, no, there's no value in them? We would say no. Why? Because we looked at God's word for the truth and let that impact and speak. You've got to retire the old broken soundtrack. You've got to replace it with God's word. Third thing, you've got to repeat it. Over and over and over again. You know what we call this? Memorization and meditation. Now, before you check out, you got to memorize God's word. To say it over and over and over again. Repeat it again and again and again. Ingrain it in your head. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. The reason I have this up on stage because of that last part, repeat. When I was a kid growing up, mom and dad, you'll appreciate this. When I was a kid growing up, there was a song my friends listened to that I wasn't allowed to have their CD I think it was a CD, maybe cassette, but I think it was a CD. I wasn't allowed to have that song. I wanted to learn it so bad. So what I did was I listened, this thing right here, kids, is called radio. And this is how you dial it in, right? You get that. I, went, I listened on the radio. I waited until that song came on. And then I took an old Michael Bolton tape, uh, that time, love, and tenderness. And I put it in there. I waited and I hit record. And in order to learn that song, what do you think I did? I would rewind it and play it, and I would rewind it and I would play it until I knew the song by heart. Forget the situation they got me facing. I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the streets, so I gotta be down with the hood. It was Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. <laughs> I admit it to you honestly. 
But there it is. You want to get a new soundtrack. You want to have a new thought process in there. You got to fill up with God's word and repeat it again and again and again. Now, let me tell you how this, uh, how this affected my life. And I'll finish with this. We have a group of students called, it's our next level students. These are the kids who want to be challenged and pushed in their faith. And what we gave them is every month as we would meet, I would give them a spiritual challenge of some sort. This particular month we're talking about here was scripture memorization. And I said to them, pick out a passage of scripture that's very impactful and meaningful to you and memorize that over and over again. Replay that in your mind, okay? So you have this going on. I told them, I can't ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I wanna memorize the entire book of James. We got one chapter left, we'll see what happens. So this is going on. On this side then, my wife brings up again the idea of fostering. And I can tell you, my heart is not in it. My heart wasn't. That doesn't sound good for a youth minister. You don't love kids. But my heart wasn't in that. I kept thinking, I've got my three kids. I want to spend time with them, with you, my wife, with my family, with the church family. And those kids that we have, I don't know if I want to do this. God, I just, is this too much? Should we, shouldn't we? I just don't know. And we've been wrestling with that. Now go back to this side. I'm reading James, and in James 1.27, it says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress. And then she comes to me about this thing called Family Hope, a program to, to help kids in emergency situations, to bring them into your home for a little while. What do you think we should do, Derek? You gotta remember, my thought process is this one. God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. I read your word that says I'm supposed to love the less fortunate, the orphans, the widows, I'm supposed to help them. And now there's an opportunity to do that. God, what should I do? And I wonder if I ask God that question, God, should I help a three-year-old child who's in a difficult situation and the mom's struggling to find work, should I do that? I wonder if God would just be like, you serious? You see, you got to replace the soundtrack. You want to know what worship is? It's our response to who God is and to what he's done. To live a lifestyle of worship, then we got to retrain the way we think. We do that by engaging his word. But you see, it all starts this way, with a choice. And I just wonder, when it comes to worship, living a life for God what we are telling ourselves and what we've chosen. Let me pray. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak, to do your word, and I pray, God, it continues to change us. But I also know, God, I got a long way to go. I pray that you would continue to move in and through me. Help me learn your word. Help me learn your truth and engage that and apply it to my life readily. I pray, God, for us as a church that we would hear your truth. We would change the way we think and then serve you wholeheartedly as we give over control to say wherever you want us to go and whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. Bless us now as we go from this place, Lord, as we come and we worship together. It's in your son's name, amen.